Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. Conversations exploring network transformation through interviews with industry experts. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from day two of 5G World in London. And I'm with Reza Arefi. Director of Spectrum Strategy at Intel. Welcome, Reza. How's it going? Good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, you've got such an interesting title, uh, Director of Spectrum Strategy. Tell me about what that means and how that's relevant to Intel's business. Well, Spectrum is the lifeblood of all wireless communications. So uh, that's why we care about Spectrum. We care about we care about its availability uh, and the the rules and regulations that are associated with its use. Uh, what we mean by spectrum strategy, in short, is that we want to make sure that the availability of spectrum and its conditions of use match our product roadmap uh, in, a, in a synergic way. Um, so basically, if our products are ready and spectrum is not ready, I'd be in trouble, that's, <laughs> that's for sure, that's for short. Now, spectrum is something that's been getting a lot more attention in the news lately with the coming of 5G networks. And um, there's been a lot of work within the standard space to define spectrums uh, for 5G. Tell me about why that's so important for the advent of 5G and where we're at as an industry in looking at that question. Mm. Um, one of the things that makes 5G different from previous generations in terms of uh, spectrum use is that um, 5G is driven by a lot of new applications that uh, were not historically part of a cellular system. Um, cellular systems, even up to 4G, have been have been mostly about providing voice and data to to the end user, to the person who has a phone or a device to to use it. So a, a human being used uh, used to be the 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 the, the uh, the main consumer of the data that was provided through the system. With 5G, we see the expansion into Internet of Things and uh, other industries which can use the 5G capabilities uh, to do their own business. And these different applications, and um, they have different requirements in terms of... Um, uh, performance and uh, how they use the spectrum. Uh, some of them need uh, uh, very long, long range, some of them need very high throughput, um, and usually these don't go together when it comes to spectrum. Uh, some require very low frequencies so that they can get the range, they can get uh, penetration into obstacles. Uh, for instance, as you have sensors down on the, three f the third floor down in the basement and you want an outside system to reach them or they reach out, you need to use lower frequencies. 
Um, whereas for some other applications, you might need very, you know, very high extreme throughput, and for that you need a lot of bandwidth. So we need to go into higher frequencies where you can get more bandwidth. And and this is what makes uh, the spectrum situation for 5G a little bit different, or somewhat more different than than 4G. And for 5G, so therefore we need to have not just the um, the right amount of spectrum by the right type of spectrum. Sure. So whereas it's low frequencies or, 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 or mid-range or, or very high frequencies to, to cater and, 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 uh, and to uh, satisfy the requirements and needs of all these, uh, um, a, uh, a very diverse set of applications that are coming up. Now, I would assume that there's spectrum defined for each network, 4G, LTE, 3G, how does that apply when we get even more complex with the addition of 5G? Is it a different spectrum um, that we're looking at, or is it reuse of uh, traditional spectrum that a provider may have? For some applications, we would need uh, new spectrum, which have not been available so far. For instance, with 5G, we're venturing into using uh, millimeter wave spectrum and submillimeter wave spectrum above uh, 24, 25 gigahertz, all the way to very higher, much higher frequencies. Um, some of these higher frequencies have been used uh, for unlicensed services, such as, uh, for instance, 60 gigahertz, but not at a at a uh, large scale for uh, for a, uh, a 5G type um, system. Um, so, for some applications, we have to go into these new territories. Um, for some of the other applications, where using smaller amount of uh, bandwidth at lower frequencies are fine, it is possible to reuse some of the existing frequencies that are being used by 5G right now. And as long as the regulators um, allow flexibility for, for network operators to use their own their existing spectrum for for future gener generations, that is uh, that is good, and, and that would help because uh, there is a there's a spectrum crunch in 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 the sense that um, almost every piece of spectrum you can think of uh, has one or more incumbent systems, right? And they don't make more spectrum anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so we need to look at ways of um, using existing spectrum and finding ways of accessing new spectrum and how we could either coexist with with incumbents or find ways of uh, of, of uh, either through regulations or, or or through technical means to find ways of of getting access to these new spectrum now the work here seems to be a combination of industry standard setting for how 5g networks will utilize spectrums as well as work with governments to assign um, spectrums within geographies tell me about the readiness of 5g standards uh, within the this uh, space of spectrum and where the industry is at in terms of defining how will apply all of those various spectrums that you just talked about. Um, actually, this week, as, as we speak, um, uh, 3GPP has a meeting, which is final, and that meeting is finalizing uh, their, the first uh, uh, release of, uh, officially release of 5G, 5G stand, uh, specifications. Um, 
this is a this is a major breakthrough, uh, given the the amount of work that they had to do in order to finish in time for a an international process to get started, and and this five uh, G specifications is going to be submitted to to ITU. Um, which is the international body uh, governing uh, radio communication services. And it will be considered by ITU and the, all the member administrations of the, of the ITU as uh, in, in a process which ends with uh, the um, approval of IMT 2020 um, standards and specifications, uh, which is due to happen uh, sometime in 2020. No, I think that a lot of what has driven uh, media coverage uh, of late is uh, different governments taking a look at this pending standard and, and thinking about how it applies to different geographies. Where are we with that international process? And are there any gaps that we need to consider? Uh, 3GPP process is a, is a global and international process. Uh, many, many members from all around the world uh, uh, vendor community, operator community, all kinds of uh, uh, services, uh, engineering services, um, even uh, other industries who have a uh, have an interest in using 5G um, in in uh, furthering their own um, uh, their own business participate in 3GPP. So and 3GPP works based on consensus. So it is a it is an international consensus. Uh, process that uh, leads to uh, development of the specifications, and then this goes into the uh, the you know, ITU process, which makes it even more more international and brings in administrations on, on, in addition to industry, and that uh, makes it really um, uh, global. Now, you talked earlier about um, the different types of workloads that will be utilizing these 5G networks and more of a focus on the Internet of Things and device-to-device -device communication. Does that represent an opportunity for new entry in terms of those who are seeking spectrum allocations or do we see any changes there? So with, with 5G, because of the, um, um, the situation with um, addition of new applications and uh, vertical industries coming in, trying to um, take advantage of of the uh, of, of 5G uh, standards and then products. Um, we see uh, the introduction of concepts for new models of uh, either either licensing or operational um, that are are different from from previous generations. Um, to give you an example, for instance, a factory which wants to use uh, 5G technology to provide connectivity inside their, their facilities um, without, the, um, without having to go through a, a, um, a network operator um, because they want to have more control inside their factories. So it is, they, want to, they want to have more control and it's a limited geography kind of application. Um, so, 
some industries have been asking for these new models where they could get access to exclusive spectrum, but within only within their facilities as opposed to a, uh, a wide area or a nationwide kind of uh, allocation, which we see usually with, uh, with the use of cellular systems in other, other generations like 3G and 4G. And some administrations are receptive to that. Uh, been con uh, the idea has been under consideration in some, uh, in some uh, countries. So we might see a different way of, um, a different licensing model to actually um, happen in, in the near future to, to optimize the use of spectrum, especially by vertical industries. So uh, in that scenario, a factory in Chicago could be running the same spectrum as a factory in Miami, but because it's a small deployment, it would not interfere in terms of signal. Yes, and more importantly, the factory in Chicago could use the same spectrum as a, um, um, another entity, maybe even with the same city, as long as there's no harmful interference between the two or it could be the same or adjacent to another um, spectrum, uh, uh, spectrum owned by, another, by a network operator. Interesting questions to be answered by the, by the standards group. Congratulations on this major milestone. Uh, it must feel good, given that you stated that, you know, if the spectrum was not ready, you might be in a little trouble at Intel <laughs> as products come to market. Um, one final question for you, Reza. Um, I know that Intel is uh, deeply invested in the 5G arena. Um, where can folks find out more information about what you're driving from a standpoint of the standards uh, in 5G, as well as uh, the delivery of technology innovation from Intel online? A good place to start is intel.com slash 5G. Uh, also, intel.com slash network has, has a lot of resources that people can start looking at. Thank you so much for being on the program today. It was a real pleasure. Thank and you. you've really uncovered this interesting area of spectrum allocation. Thank you very much. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Alison Klein, and we're coming to you live from 5G World in London. I'm delighted to be joined by Nigel Stevenson, Global Market Development of the Telco NFV team at VMware. Welcome, Nigel. Hi, Alison. Thanks for uh, inviting me here. Great to be here. So we've had uh, VMware on the show a number of times, but I think this is your first. It so is. Why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself and your role at VMware? Yeah, so as you say, I, I'm, I report into our telco vertical, essentially, which we call our telco NFE group. And within that, my responsibility is market development for the EMEA region. Uh, as a group, we, as it, as it uh, says in the title, we're very much focused on uh, solving the problems that the telco industry is experiencing and, and working with our customers um, to, to leverage virtualization and cloud technologies in, in the context of a, a telecommunications or a communications service provider. Uh, but within that, there is a very clear focus on network functions virtualization as a if you like, a cornerstone of transformation mm -hmm. within, the, the, within the operator. So that's really at the heart of what we focus on in our team. You could argue that not many companies in the world know virtualization better than VMware. Um, but the telco space is not where the roots of the company are. Obviously, the roots are in data center. 
How do you see um, VMware utilizing everything that you know about virtualization from data center environments and applying it to telco? And what do you see that's different in that? Well, yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, so our background is very much in the in the enterprise space. That's where we came from. And the proposition for the enterprise, uh, that if we go right back to the early days of VMware, uh, was was a very simple proposition. It was around consolidating servers uh, and reducing cost. Um, that proposition has evolved tremendously since those days, uh, even in with the enterprise IT space where we're looking at cloud and multi-cloud uh, environments. As we look at the CSP, the communication service provider space, uh, what we see is a great deal of synergy in terms of the principles we're deploying and some of the fundamentals of the technology we're deploying. Uh, where it differs is in the particular use case and, uh, and there's no doubt about it, the CSP space has some very specific requirements, uh, certainly around things like data plane performance and reliability and availability that, 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 are, not, that are not translating directly from enterprise. So, uh, and in fact, that you've hit upon the exact reason why our team was formed, which was to say, okay, we, there are a lot of synergies here, but it is a very specific market, has its very specific its own requirements, um, and what our team does is it looks at how our technology can be delivered into those environments and what needs to be enhanced, uh, which is in many cases around things like specific aspects of operations, for example, um, in order to fit the communication service providers needs specifically for their networking environment. And then as we do that, ensure that we also bring on the IT and the cloud services pieces as well, so we have an integrated multi-cloud strategy and capability that we can take to the CSP market. Now, this week we hit a major milestone in terms of a new advancement in terms of uh, VMware vCloud. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, so from a product point of view, the product that we talk of is, is something we call VMware vCloud NFV. So that, that would be the productization, if you like, of the work of, of our group. Um, that product has been uh, available for a few years now, um, and we have something like 50 service providers worldwide, uh, something like 300 million subscribers running over that, uh, that, that platform. What we've announced this week is uh, an enhancement to the platform, uh, and so we've now released vCloud NFV version 3.0, and the variant that has been released this week is the OpenStack edition. We're a multi, we're a multi, what we call a multi-vim solution, virtual infrastructure manager solution. Um, so we actually have two variants of the product and we've released the OpenStack edition version 3.0 this, this week. Now this is very interesting. Um, a slightly different approach from VMware than his, historic with the integration of the OpenStack into the solution. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we, as I say, we have a multi-vim uh, strategy, so um, many of our customers will be running on our, what we call our vCloud director uh, vim, uh, infrastructure manager, um, but we also have the ability to put in an OpenStack vim, uh, and so hence we have the two variants of, of vCloud and FV. Uh, in the case of the OpenStack edition, uh, we, we announced uh, just recently at OpenStack Summit uh, what we, uh, what, what we call as a product, VMware Integrated OpenStack uh, 5.0. So we've just released 5.0 version of that. So there's a number of enhancements that have come through from the OpenStack component of the product. And we've complemented that with a number of other, other advancements around things like performance and network ops. Um, and then collectively that becomes the vCloud NFE 3.0 OpenStack uh, announcement that we've made today. 
So let's let's get into those performance characteristics that you were able to deliver because they're quite impressive. Um, when you look at um, the performance tuning that you've delivered, what was critical in terms of that, and what are you seeing in terms of advancements on this platform? Okay, well, before it's very tempting when we talk about performance to dive into data rates and things like that, um, so which we, we will certainly will talk about. But one point I want to make before we look at that is there's a, there's a bigger role for performance here. And if we actually look at what we're achieving with this latest release, uh, at the highest level, what we're looking at is significantly reducing the total cost of ownership of the of the, for the customer of the platform. Now, performance is a big part of that, but the business outcome is, is cost of ownership. Um, so that's one aspect. The other thing we're doing is optimizing uh, the, the, the network economics, the way we're um, introducing a new paradigm of network operations, what we call intent-based assurance, actually makes you, it helps the operator leverage much more value out of the infrastructure and relate what the infrastructure is delivering to the actual business and operational needs of the, of the customer. Um, so, so they're sort of top level values that, that we're trying to address here. In terms of how we do that, you're right. Performance is one of the key enablers of that. So we've, uh, we've done a lot of work uh, with Intel uh, on performance and for that we're leveraging DBDK. Uh, and so we, we've actually released a new switch within our NSXT product, which we call NVDS, which, is the, which stands for NSX Managed Virtual Distributed Switch. Um, that, that is where we embed the DBDK functionality. What that's doing is it's allowing us to see between three to five times performance increases um, with, with, with throughput type um, testing that we've done with uh, some of our customers. So NTT.com, uh, Telia company, Telefonica, uh, these guys have been involved in helping us in the beta stages and we're seeing, as I say, three to five times performance improvements in a, in a simple performance sense. But as I say, the, the thing that that then enables is you start looking at, okay, what is my footprint now in terms of server footprint or CPU or core footprint to deliver amount of performance? Um, how can I marry that with advanced operation techniques to make the best use of the infrastructure available? And that all starts to contribute to, to the real ultimate goal, which is reducing the total cost of ownership. And then you've also delivered some advanced capabilities in terms of uh, the networking functions associated with carrier grade capabilities and multi-cloud support to name, a, to name a couple of the examples. Tell me about what you're most proud of here in terms of the new capabilities. I mean, I think we're, we're at 5G world, so probably touching on 5G for a moment. I mean, that this is where I think some of the 5G elements really start to come into play because with some of the, um, if we look at some of the advanced networking features that we're, we're, we're delivering now, um, we could, there are some point features which are kind of cool, like fast link failure, for example, which is a very comms type issue. Um, but looking at, at the sort of things we need to deliver 5G, and this is a 5G ready infrastructure, um, network slicing is going to become increasingly important. As, as 5G enables opportunities such as IoT, the ability to move from uh, you know, the, the old traditional cash cow approach to delivering a few services to many customers into a world where we're now delivering very personalized services. It may be very specific to an industry sector or it may be literally personal to a consumer. Um, this is requiring us to, to segment and, and uh, the, the network much more cleanly and, and precisely, which is where network slicing comes in. So what we can do there is we can use uh, our micro-segmentation capability to help generate those network slices, which on the one hand will allow us to, to deploy quality of service, so it might be a latency or a bandwidth or a throughput type 
quality of service metric we're looking at, but also we can overlay security in that same environment. So that the advanced networking is, is really a big piece of uh, enabling this platform for a 5G future. Now, this uh, technology was announced this week. When can customers start uh, testing it out and, and getting it ready for deployment? You're right, and, and I uh, so yes, we've announced it uh, here at the at 5G World. We're um, we're actually going to be uh, the, making the product available in in our current quarter, which would mean by the end of August this year. That's fantastic. Um, I know that Intel and VMware have a long history of collaboration, going back to the beginnings of of the company. Um, what was the collaboration here in terms of these new networking capabilities? Yeah, I th well, I think that you know the the obvious one is is the work around DBDK, which obviously Intel is a massive supporter of, and 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 you know in terms of the interaction. I mean, broader than that, as companies, um, you know, with the uh, with the with the the pervasiveness of Intel Silicon, if you like, um, and the capabilities therein, and then marrying that with the VMware technology, which provides an ex extraction and an abstraction of that capability. It, it's it's vital for both our organizations, I think, to, to remain very close in terms of, uh, from our point of view, being able to extract the value of the innovation that you guys are doing in the silicon and being able to deliver that at a higher level. So for that to happen, there has to be very close cooperation and coordination. So in this particular case, where that really landed was around the DBDK work uh, and building in this new this new switch within our NSX product line. So, uh, but that that's in the context of a much broader and an ongoing and a continual uh, collaboration and cooperation between the companies. As I say, in order to, if you like, surface the innovation and make it available uh, in a way that customers can consume. Now, how does this new solution relate to your VM VMware Ready for NFV program? Well, so the the announcement is around the infrastructure solution, which is the vCloud um, NFE. With that, that's NFE, NFEI, NFE infrastructure. So what we're looking to do here is we, what N, what we're delivering with vCloud NFE is a is what we call a, a platform, a multi-vendor uh, platform-based approach. So essentially, what our customers are doing with the product is they are creating the virtualized environment on which they will need to onboard applications, or in NFE terminology, VNFs, virtual network functions. So the the, the, the essence of the platform is to provide a, 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 a provide a capability for our customers, the CSPs, to go out to the VNF vendor communities, who the people who are providing the, the packet cores, the EPCs, the IMSs, the SD-WAN capabilities, whatever the, the function may be, and, and say, look, you can onboard that function onto our platform. Now, in order to do that in a multi-vendor environment, uh, we obviously need to do some work to try and de-risk and accelerate the ability to onboard multi-vendor VNFs onto the platform. So, in order to do that, um, a few years ago, we announced a, a program we call VMware Ready for NFV. And what that is, is it allows these VNF vendors, so, um, you know, they could be uh, the Ericsson's, the Nokia's, the Huawei's, uh, the Affirm Networks, Maveneers, and I probably should mention a lot more, and I apologize for those and I didn't. many, many more. Uh, there are many, many more uh, who are creating some really great network functions, or they're transposing network functions from the physical to the virtual. Um, the, these VNFs uh, can go through the VMware Ready program, 
And what that does is it onboards them onto the platform. We have a reference architecture, which is what, what we base the platform on. Uh, we can onboard them. We can, we can do certain functional testing and so on. We can test out the VIMs, the VCD and the VIO uh, OpenStack VIMs. And then it gives a level of assurance to the customers that if they then work with that vendor to onboard their VNF, then they get a smoother and faster transition. Um, I would say it's, it, it doesn't totally remove the, the, the standard requirements to do testing and integration, but it does, it does help accelerate the process and it also helps us as vendors, between us and the VNF vendors, uncover things earlier in the cycle rather than waiting for it to happen on a customer side. So within the program, we've now got, I think, close to 70 different VNFs uh, certified as VMware ready. That, that have been through this process and, if you like, have now got the badge uh, to say they're accredited to run on the platform. But the intent of the program is to give a level of assurance to our customers, the CSPs, that, that there is an ecosystem of VNFs partners out there that have had a level of pre-testing and accreditation for the platform that they're deploying. So they, what that does in a broader term is it, it actually helps create a, a balance of power shift in a way because it, we're finding that our customers are in a position where they can now go to the market in a more open market and and look for vendors to to bid, if you like, to be on the platform, uh, which is a very different dynamic from what the communication service providers found themselves in three or four years ago, um, and, and is actually fundamentally one of the, the key reasons that NFV was conceived in the first place, which was to break the vendor lock-in and to create a more open and agile and flexible environment. So, so that program, I think, kind of highlights that aspect. It's really turning this environment into uh, an ecosystem of vendors. And uh, VMware, you know, traditionally has always been an ecosystem player. We've always you know, we've always worked with hardware, a hardware ecosystem and a software ecosystem, and, and we provide the point of flexibility in the middle. Uh, and it's a continuation of that, but it's very specific to the communication service provider industry. Nigel, it's always a pleasure to have VMware on because of the collaboration that exists between our companies. And this is a, a fantastic development for the network arena, um, one that we've celebrated quite a bit inside the walls of Intel. Thank you so much uh, for being here to uh, share your story and uh, to, to you know, deliver this great news uh, to the ChipChat audience. One final question for you before we go. Where would you send folks for more information about the new solutions? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks very much for having us. It's, it's, it's great to have the opportunity. And uh, yeah, if anybody wants to, to get more information about uh, the VMware uh, solutions, telecom solutions, uh, very simple, go to vmware.com forward slash go forward slash NFV. Fantastic, thanks for being on the program today. Thank you. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you live from 5G World in London, and I am delighted to have Paul Stevens, Telecom Sector Marketing Director for Advantech, back with us. Welcome back, Paul. Oh, hi, Allison. Thanks for having me again. So, Paul, I know you've been on the program before, but why don't you go ahead and reintroduce yourself to the audience and, and talk a little bit about Advantech? Yeah, sure. So I'm Paul Stevens, Marketing Director at uh, Advantech's Networks and Communications Group. Um, I'm mainly focused on our network ecosystem and building that out and everything to do with Intel basically within our networks and communications group. We've talked uh, a number of times about 
the drive for network transformation, um, and the delivery by Advanced Tech and Solutions to, to define that. To, uh, this week at 5G World London, you made a big advancement with the delivery of an Intel Select solution for NFEI. Tell me about that. Yeah, that's right. We're glad to be here actually on the Intel booth uh, this week, Alison, with our Intel Select solutions, uh, our verified solutions with two platforms. Uh, one is a, a carrier-grade uh, server, a dual socket Xeon Platinum platform, and the other one is uh, our FWA6170, which is a, a dual socket network appliance. And essentially, uh, we're on the booth here next to the next generation central office demo uh, with our platform. Uh, and essentially, we're talking about some of the network elements that are targeted with these platforms, which are um, edge routing, virtual routers, network gateways, and, and remote access servers. Now, we've talked about the importance of uh, making it easier for operators to deploy infrastructure in the past. Why does something like a select solution um, from Advantech help with that? And how do, do you think the operators will respond to such a configuration? I think it's interesting to them really for helping to reduce time, costs, and efforts in integrating and evaluating uh, a, a hardware and software solution themselves. Uh, these uh, platforms have been tested and they're pre-integrated, uh, ready to accelerate really new solution modeling on, on the part of the, uh, of the operators. Uh, and from another extent, they're guaranteed certain performance levels. So, purchasing a certain platform or evaluating a certain platform, we know that it's gone through all the Intel test scripts and so it's been pre-qualified and in fact, they can be guaranteed of certain uh, throughput performance uh, and of also virtual machine performance as well. That's fantastic and I know that you're utilizing your remote evaluation service labs to deliver these configurations. Tell me about that. Yeah, we ha actually we set up our remote evaluation service labs a couple of years ago now, and that's been built out over that time as we bring on new platforms. Uh, when we started several years ago, I think we were still working on some uh, older Xeon uh, V3 processors, and we've panned that out now to cover quite a wide range of Intel platforms. And that, that actually covers all the way from UCPE um, with devices at Atom C1000, Atom uh, C3000 level, uh, all the way up now to, to 300 core platforms. Uh, so essentially operators can uh, connect into our remote evaluation services uh, uh, access server uh, and just spin up VNFs, spin up various uh, NFVIs and, and, and test them out. Now you delivered two configs at the, at the uh, delivery of this select solution, one based on the gold processor, one based on the platinum processor from our Xeon scalable line. Um, tell me why two configs and how should operators look at those different configs in terms of the types of things that they're trying to drive with their network? Yeah, I think that the various config levels really are based on the types of performance that you want to get out of the processor. And there's also um, a cost perspective uh, in it as well. So from one, one particular workload, you may be looking at maybe many more virtual machines. And from a lower grade uh, gold processor, then you're focusing mainly in on uh, certain um, temperature ranges that need to be met in central office environments and carrier grade environments. So we're looking at getting the right balance for the throughput that's required in those uh, situations. Now the configuration features um, Red Hat REHL 
as well as um, some op some performance optimizations using Intel Quick Assist. But you'll be working with a number of software vendors to deliver uh, configurations to the market. Tell me about your work there. Yeah, that's really through the Intel Network Builders uh, ecosystem. I mean, this that's it, it is probably is the one most uh, dynamic ecosystems I think uh, many of us have ever worked with. Um, and there, I think we've got some of the best-in-class vendors of, of VNFs, of NFVI, acceleration software, and so on. Um, essentially, on these platforms, uh, we'll be working with uh, uh, that are qualified, uh, verified uh, through the Intel Select Solutions on uh, Red Hat, and in the future, we'll be adding Ubuntu. Um, we'll be putting on top of those uh, software bases, we'll be working with customers um, who've selected uh, software vendors like Sixwind or NetElastic that can provide functions like vRouters, uh, NetElastic who's working uh, a lot on VBNGs uh, and VBRAS solutions. Um, they will add that ex those extra layers of software that we need to fulfill those virtual network functions within an NGCO, for example. And what has the response been uh, to the select solutions in market? And where are you with uh, working with operators on their virtual network deployments? Well, for the Intel Select Solutions uh, side, we've just actually passed uh, uh, certification, so uh, or verification. Um, uh, so we're beginning to entertain those discussions. We're working with a number of operators right now throughout the world, uh, uh, including in Asia, um, that are looking very closely at the Intel Select Solutions. It gets them on the fast track to to uh, to transform their networks, um, and we're getting some some good feedback. That's fantastic. Paul, um, thank you so much for being on the program today. Any final um, comments about Advantex portfolio of solutions and where folks can go for more information about Advantex offerings for the telco arena? Yeah, sure. We have a number of landing pages, but I think the best one that's easy to find uh, verbally is uh, www.advantech.com slash NC, NC for network computing. Well, thank you so much for the collaboration on this particular configuration. It's great to see these products coming to market, and we look forward to hearing more about Advantix offerings in the future. That's great. Thanks a lot, Allison. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Alison Klein. We're coming to you from 5G World in London, and I'm delighted to have Angela Whiteford, Vice President of Marketing and Product Management from Affirm Networks, back with us. Welcome, Angela. How's it going? Great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about the event. So we are coming to you live from a trade show, so you can hear all of those folks behind us talking. Um, Angela, it's been a while since you've been on the program. I think the last time we talked, we were in The Hague. And um, you were on the episode talking about the advanced features of NFE and how that was laying out um, the foundation towards 5G. But today's topic is, is quite different. You're going to walk us through some real-world performance in what we're seeing with NFE. Um, tell me a little bit about why this is so critical as we start deployments and where Affirmed uh, Mobile Networks is in terms of delivering this? Great question, great question. Why is performance so critical? 
You know, and it's not just a 5G problem, it's also a 4G problem, right? Why are operators transitioning to NFE architecture? First and foremost, they just can't keep up with the mobile data growth. What are we seeing? 50% year-over-year growth in traffic, and the current networks just can't cost-effectively scale. As it relates to 5G, what you're also going to see is more applications coming onto a converged network, right? So you're going to see things like IoT, you're going to see things like fixed wireless, you're going to see consumer broadband, and you're going to see the virtual reality and the connected car type of applications come on. Well, what's interesting about that when it comes to performance is they have different performance characteristics. Some need very high bandwidth, but don't have a lot of sessions, like fixed wireless, residential broadband. Some have a lot of sessions like IoT, but really teeny tiny bandwidth numbers, right? And so part of performance has to be how do you efficiently deliver these services at a very high performance without stranding capacity? How can you scale in one dimension of sessions or one dimension of signaling or, or a dimension of throughput without having to scale them all at the same time? And so that's really important in terms of performance. The other one I like to talk about is, everybody talks about 5G having this 10X capacity increase. They're not going to get 10X revenue for it, right? Mobile operators, I'm going to start running my, my service from my cell phone. You know, I can't wait for a 5G service, but I'm not going to pay 10 times as much. So performance is critical there as well, right? How do you reduce the cost of delivering that service? Now when you talk about the diversity of performance characteristics and the performance requirements uh, from all of these various workloads, how does the industry approach modeling the right technology to serve this type of diversified landscape? You know, it's it really comes down to, you know, the way I say it is a, a decomposed architecture. Um, the old hardware-based solutions were this one big chunk, people like to use the term monolithic, but this one big chunk of code, um, all performance dimensions scaled together. They were all fixed on a blade, right? So you had the sessions, the throughput, and the signaling all fixed on a blade. You wanted to add more higher performance or more capacity, you add another blade. Now, you can do this through virtual machines, you can do this through containers, the way we do it at Affirmed is we actually give each of these virtual machines a different um, personality, we call it. But really, we have virtual machines or VMs for throughput. We have VMs for sessions. We have VMs for signaling. And we have VMs for advanced capabilities like optimization or proxy capabilities. And so depending on what application you're loading into the network, you scale each of those independently. And so I think that is a, a critical piece in terms of the technology. As people talk moving to cloud native and microservices, that all comes into play. It's all about decomposing. Now, you just completed um, some performance modeling with Intel. Tell me about what, what happened there and, and what you found in terms of the core capabilities of the underlying infrastructure. You know, what's interesting, I think one of the biggest issues when operators started moving towards their, what they're calling the digital transformation, right? And, um, and moving towards a NFE-based architecture, their first question is, well, is this going to perform as well as my, my hardware-based stuff, right? Number one. And that question is still out there. So what we went to go do was, as we're looking at 5G, 
and the bandwidth-hungry applications that you were talking about earlier. Can a virtualized evolved packet core, which is what Affirm delivers, can it scale to the level or outperform what we're seeing with the hardware-based solutions today? And that's what we proved. Uh, one of the things that we take advantage of is that every time Intel comes out with a new generation of processors, a firm's applications, our virtual EPC, gets a 40% bump in performance with each gen. With Skylake or the Xeon processors that just came out, we did the performance benchmark testing with Intel on those, both your high-end platinum servers and your gold servers. And what we were able to realize and what the performance report showcases is that we can deliver 150 gig of throughput on a single server. That's crazy. That's crazy. And that is somewhere between five and 10X anything you're seeing on the market today. Now, that's a big number. Yeah. Break that down in terms of the types of capabilities that this would deliver to an operator in terms of that efficient delivery of 5G ready network capacity. Yeah, so let me give it to you in terms of numbers, right? So if we, operators are saying, okay, I want to deliver these really high throughputs, but at a really low cost, let's talk about just server count. It, if in a given data center, you wanted to drive half a terabit of, half a terabit of throughput, like 500 gigs of throughput in a data center, with the legacy architectures out there, they're chassis, right? They're not server blades like we do today with virtualized. But a you'd need four chassis with 16 blades in them each. You need 50 blades to deliver 500 gigs of throughput because each blade only delivers 10 gig. So 50 blades in the legacy. The, com the competitive virtualized solutions out there deliver 30 gigs of throughput on a single server. And, and so that's 17 blades. So I said 50 blades, 17 blades. With Affirmed, you need four or five blades, depending if you have deep packet inspection on or not, and we can talk about that in a minute. Five blades. And That's most operators are not you know, delivering 500 gigs of throughput, they're delivering multi-terabytes of throughput, so multiply all these numbers by five or four, something like that. But that's the type of numbers you're dealing with, so it's very substantial in terms of the savings they're going to get with this architecture. When you look at the kind of capabilities that you're delivering, you talked about deep packet inspection. Beyond just pure throughput, what are you offering in terms of advanced services? Yeah, you know, deep packet inspection is the tough one that everybody talks about when you talk performance. Because when you turn on deep packet inspection, which everybody knows is critical, you need it for charging, you need it to create promotional bundles, every operator needs this. So it's just, it's, it's a baseline capability that you deliver, right? The problem is, the, what happens in most architectures, a packet comes in, it's processed, and then it goes to a DPI processing engine, gets processed again. Because of that two-step approach to processing, it can cut the performance of the throughput almost in half. And that's what we've seen. With Affirmed, what we did was, it's a one-step process. There's something called the fast path and the slow path. Typically, DPI is done in the slow path. We did it in the fast path. So when the packet comes in, we crack the packet, we process it, and we apply DPI right away. We apply DPI to all traffic that comes through our EPC, no matter what. Unless the customer specifically wants it turned off, which most don't. Deep packet inspection is in there. 
When we turned on DPI, which we did in the performance report, we only saw a 20% degradation in performance. So the numbers were 150 gig of throughput without DPI, 120 gig with DPI. Um, for the gold servers, which most operators are deploying, those are the 20 core servers, they, um, we deliver 100 gig of throughput without DPI and 80 gig with DPI, which is still, you can tell, significantly higher than any of the results I was just sharing earlier. So basically, touch the packet once. Yep. Take a bit of a performance hit on that packet because you know everybody's going to be doing it anyway. Yep, yep. And, not, and avoid the double the double the touch. Double, yeah, exactly, very nice. exactly. What has the operator's response been uh, to this result that you're publishing? One of the key operating objectives or key performance indicators for all of our operators is driving down the cost per bit delivered. And so this directly goes to that. What we've heard, as we've, been, we've actually been doing live demonstrations of this capability and these performance numbers, they've said they haven't seen anything like this, and this directly goes to the economics and why they wanted to deploy NFE in the first place. It's giving them what they want. So we're excited with the results. Now, an episode with you would not be complete if I didn't talk to you about what you're seeing more broadly within the operator base on their path to deploying fully virtualized networks and laying down a foundation for 5G, getting ready for those types of deployments in the coming years. You know, uh, we've been talking about networks needing to change and networks needing to be smarter. And there's a few capabilities associated that, with that. NFE is the foundation. The other one that's really important is automation. And then you couple that with real-time analytics. And what do I mean by that? Right now, one of, so if we solve the cost problem with operators, right? So some of the discussion we just had on performance, how do you solve the revenue problem? So the revenue problem goes back to how can operators launch services faster, launch more of them, and make sure they're working the way they want them to, right? So you've got to be able to quickly create a new service, spin it up. You've got to be able to measure the performance of the service and what customers are doing. Go, go back in and make some edits and then relaunch it again. To do that today, it takes weeks or months, mostly months. In, in some cases, it can take up to a year to do something like that because it's a very, very manual process. There has been a lot of work over the last year around automation, automated configuration management, orchestration. People talk about service orchestration and service automation interchangeably. I think this is the next big thing. And the nice thing about it is if service automation is done the right way, everything doesn't have to be virtualized on the network. Everything is not going to be virtualized on the network probably for the next five or 10 years, right? So you're going to be working with a mixed bag of legacy capabilities and virtualized capabilities and different vendors and how do you stitch all of that together? And so for Affirmed, we really believe automation is going to be critical. We do have a product ourselves called ASAP because uh, you can do it quickly, but it's all about configuring, service, configuring a service over a multi-vendor, multi-capable network things like IPTV services, Volti services, MVNO services, all of these can be automated and these examples are examples that our customers are using today. The other piece of it is with 5G that you, that you mentioned, it's this idea of real-time analytics. And all of the functions that come onto the 5G network need to be able to 
deliver analytics themselves. I call, I call them self-probing virtual functions. But they need to be able to generate analytics, deliver those analytics to some common database or, or data lake, and we need to start applying machine learning and AI to that. I know it's a buzzword, but it's, I think it's really critical right now that every time you're launching a service, you have to measure the health of the service and the performance of the service. And then the next piece of that, I'll bring it all back, is the closed loop, right? So now you see something, you do some analysis on that with ML, machine learning, or AI, and you bring that back. And then you take action on that through an automation platform. Well, it, it does seem like that they're connected, right? Absolutely. Obviously, workload automation drives an ability for AI-driven intelligence to take control of a network and respond in real time. And you can do that at two different levels, right? There's the workload and the resources, and then there's the higher level of the service piece, and we have to be able to do both. And I think that you know what you talk about um, really spells out a long-term vision for the efficiency that operators are seeking out of these 5G networks. Uh, absolutely, and their ability to compete, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that if you, if you maintain the same management model of your network after virtualizing it, you're missing the vast majority of the back. Absolutely, absolutely. So fantastic work on the performance analysis. That's really exciting to see. Um, it's such a compelling value proposition, and I can't wait to hear more about how Affirmed is delivering value with operators as you move forward. Thanks for being so, excuse me, thank you so much for being on the program today. Thanks for having me. One final question for you, Angela. Um, if folks want to read about this report and learn more about the solutions you're delivering to market, including that ASAP solution that you referred to, where should they go for more information? Affirmnetworks.com. Awesome. Thank you. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from day two of 5G World in London, and I'm delighted to be joined by John Baker, Senior Vice President of Business Development at Mavenir. Welcome, John. Yeah, good morning. Great to see you all. So, Mavenir's first time on Chip Chat. Um, can you go ahead and introduce the company and your role there? Yeah, great, great to be here, and thanks for the opportunity. Um, Ma Mavenir is um, essentially an end-to-end -end supplier of virtualized, uh, virtualized networks. Um, Mavenir has actually been around uh, for, for, for many years in different guises, but mm -hmm. uh, today you know, we're owned by Sirius Capital um, and really focused at uh, you know, providing end-to-end -end virtualized software solutions, everything from the, you know, from the voice right the way through to the radio. Mm -hmm. um, the core business has previously been on the IMS core, uh, rich communication suite for, for Mavenir and now broadening out into the, um, the RAN side of the business with uh, EPC, uh, Cloud RAN, uh, and, and then providing complete networks for, for mobile operators for 4 and 5G. Now, RAN is the topic of, of this particular podcast, and, and it is an area of incredible industry development right now. Right. Tell me why RAN is such a focus in the industry and, and why you guys are focused here. Yeah, so, you know, historically, um, the RAN has sort of been a closed, a closed area for, 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 new part, for new ventures coming into the business. Um, you know, it's really been sort of dominated by the three main suppliers of, uh, you know, the Nokia, Ericsson, Huawei. Um, 
because of the proprietary interfaces that essentially are sitting between the elements. Um, with the work that's been going on over the last few few years with CloudRAN and then you know the the, the TIP programs and XRAN, the interfaces are now becoming open and uh, and, and and also with the advances of Intel technology, um, you know the ability to do in software what once used to be done in in hardware um, has now broken the barriers to uh, you know providing virtualized RAN functions. And so, you know, what we see coming along with, uh, you know, for 4G and then 5G is the ability to provide a true virtualized uh, RAN with minimal hardware um, and uh, essentially open interfaces. So really breaking out, breaking open the whole ecosystem uh, for, for supply to the carriers. No, I assume this is a major play for carriers in terms of cost efficiency. Yep. But what else does uh, the virtualized solutions deliver in terms of flexibility? Yeah, so so several things. Obviously, cost is a cost is a big issue. Um, you, you know, the, the, it opens up a complete new vendor supply base for the guys, um, and then you, you know the ability to you know apply apply virtual techniques in terms of bringing new features and functionality to the market in terms of uh, you know radio solutions. Today, it's pretty much that you know everybody gets the same um, from a, from the suppliers that are out there by bringing in you know, virtualized, uh, open forum specifi specified functionality um, will allow more innovation in, in the RAN area. Now, John, I, I know that you guys have a demo here at 5G World, which frankly is one of the most interesting demos on the floor, that's representative of a POC in this space that you took on with Amdocs, Radisys, and, and Wind River, part of Intel. Can you talk a little bit about that POC and, and why you're uh, making the investment in this particular technology configuration? Yeah, you know, it's been a, a great start to a, an ongoing project in terms of uh, building all these components together as uh, uh, a 5G reference platform. Um, you, you know, one of the products that Mavenir has um, in its portfolio is a, a, a 4G EPC that actually was built to a 5G, <coughs> excuse me, a 5G architecture. Um, and, uh, you know, we now have the 5G elements starting to come available on that platform. Um, and then, you know, the other piece of that is obviously integrating it into a common OSS, such as ONAP, um, which allows, um, you know, again, using open source programs uh, for the carriers to get the flexibility in design and the architecture. But, um, you know, it's great to see that you can build all of the, the, the network end-to-end -end in software form um, on COTS platforms um, with minimal radio. And, 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 you know, the architecture is, um, you know, not only based for 4G, you can then, you know, it's, it's, it's the same architecture that you can use for 5G. One interesting thing about this um, collaboration is it really shows something that you said before, which is opening up uh, providers to a whole new ecosystem of vendors. Right. And really, um, because this is an industry standard solution, uh, software vendors, hardware vendors working together to create a configuration rather than a stovepipe right. uh, solution. Can you talk about that collaboration and why that's so critical? Yeah, because I think you know, as it, as it is today, you know, it's it's proprietary hardware in all aspects of the RAN. Um, now, you know, bringing sort of the IT philosophy uh, to RAN, it's important that uh, you know interoperability testing, um, API integration. 
and uh, you know ensuring that open interfaces truly work um, in this area you know is allowing that flexibility so you know in an area that has pretty pretty much been a walled garden for the last 20 years is now suddenly you know has the IT mentality if you like coming to it and uh, you know and that's uh, uh, the carriers have got to put a lot of trust in 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 the fact that you know it's pro proven interoperability proven techniques um, to, to build a reliable network yeah and in this configuration, it's an Intel architecture-based FlexRAN um, base config running Titanium Cloud software, your VEPC, and then um, Amdocs adding some additional NFE technology to the configuration powered by ONAP. Is that right. correct? That, that's correct, yeah. And, uh, um, yes, yeah, so, so you've got the ability to do everything today that you can do in a conventional mobile network. You know, you've got all of the functionality of you know split user plane, split control plane, um, mobility management for the radio parts, and um, you know through the EPC you can you know, do lawful intercept and all the other necessary pieces that the, the carriers need to do. But but you can see the whole thing graphically you yeah. know, through the ONAT platform. Very cool. And I know that you guys are showing some cool augmented reality 4K video in the demo. Tell me about why media is so important in terms of a workload for this type of configuration. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know that um, two two things really. One is that uh, you know latency is the the challenge for five G, and you know that's causing the core to be disaggregated for mobile networks and moving it towards the edge um, to get the low latency, so that you know when you're interacting with the video, it's it's you you haven't got the delays of response, etc. And that and this demo shows it extremely well of why you need to move things to the edge. Mm -hmm. Um, and um, uh, and sec secondly, um, you know, video is 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 eighty percent of the mobile operator's traffic, <laughs> and um, of which um, forty percent of that is encrypted mm -hmm. video. So, um, you know, pretty much today we're dealing with video as it is, and that's what the carriers have got to find a better way to handle. And it doesn't seem like there is any trend showing that that isn't just going to continue to grow. No, you know, you know, it's going to get worse. In fact, you know, so the the, the more bandwidth that the end user has through the use of, uh, you know, carrier aggregation in 4G or the 5G bandwidth is pretty much all going to be video, video gaming. Um, so, you, you know, from a carrier, that's actually the, the 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 traffic that they get the least revenue from. So they've got to find better ways to handle it. Makes a lot of sense. So John, what is next with this configuration in terms of moving from POC into delivery to carriers and what has the carrier response been so far? Yeah, I think you know the carriers are, are sort of open-minded. You know, I think there's there's a there's a certain amount of reservation that can you really do this with software mm -hmm. um, versus, you know, the the conditional hardware suppliers. Um, so, you know, I think it's got to move into, you know, real lab trials with the, with the operators and, and prove out um, all, the, all the stories that we've been putting together in terms of how this can save the money and, um, you know, improve performance. Is that a different response from them on the access um, network in particular? That there's mistrust of, of uh, software I'm, configuration. Ab absolutely, you know, it's um, today they're so you know they they're so used to dedicated hardware from one vendor, one neck to strangle, mm -hmm. as they say, um, and you know now you're really saying, look, you know, there's a multi multi vendor environment, um, and you know you're applying uh, IT principles. So right. whereas you know 
currently, you know, you have this five nines policy in terms of reliability. Um, you know, in the IT world, you know, you're lucky to get three nines. So, you know, the design philosophy changes from, you know, five nines reliability to design for failure. So, you, you know, and then, you know, you've got all the data center principles of onloading VNFs and everything else around that, where in reality, they don't, they don't have to do that today. You yeah, know, that's just a shift of mindset yeah. to a cloud, cloud yeah. architecture, yeah. right? Um, yeah, so you're not only taking, you know, finding good radio skills, you've got to find good software skills. Yeah, exactly. That'll work in that environment, yeah. Fantastic. I, I assume that is why Mavenir is so critical in terms of the component components you're Ab delivering to this solution. A absolutely. You know, we're, we're probably one of the largest suppliers of VNF systems today in the mobile networks, and uh, you know, it's really just taking that experience we have in the core right, right out to the edge of the network. I would assume that pr providers also are concerned about the security of these types of solution at the access yep. layer. Can you talk a little bit about what you're delivering there? Yeah, so Mavenir has a complete suite of uh, security products that uh, you know are really helping carriers today address some of the fraud and security issues around mobile networks. And really, you know, going forward, we're looking to apply that technology to the RAN and the RAN elements. Um, and especially as this sort of moves into the enterprise as well, the, the, the nice thing about the sort of the flex RAN architecture that you know you can move it into the edge um, and set up these smaller, very small networks. But you know, where you set these small networks up, you've got to include the security aspects to make sure the network's not penetrated. John, one final question for you. I'm sure we've uh, piqued a bunch of interest in our listeners to find out more about what Mavenir is delivering in the networking arena. Where can they go to find out more information about your solutions as well as connect with um, a representative from your company? Yeah, so, so um, Mavenir.com, you know, basically the website, all the information's there. There's the ability to link through and post questions, but certainly, re you know, reach out to myself, john.baker at Mavenir.com. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. It's been a real pleasure. All right, thanks. Welcome to ChipChat Network Insights. My name is Alison Klein. We're coming to you from day two of 5G World in London, and I'm delighted to be joined by Steve Vandress, Director of 5G Software Strategy at Intel, and Ofer Farkash, Product Marketing Manager at Amdocs. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for taking time out of your busy 5G World schedules. Um, let's just get started. I'm going to have each of you introduce yourselves. Steve, would you like to go first? Yes, uh, my name is Steve Andrews. I'm the director for 5G software strategy in the 5G infrastructure division of Intel. And Ofer? Uh, I'm a, a product marketing uh, manager at Amdocs. I'm uh, responsible for the NFV powered by ONAP uh, product offering. I'm also managing the partner activity. We have uh, at Amdocs a partner ecosystem and I'm managing all the marketing activity of this uh, partner program. Fantastic. Well, we're at 5G World, so obviously the conversation is 5G, but also uh, the network infrastructure deployments that are getting networks ready for 5G's uh, ultimate delivery. Steve, can you talk to me a little bit about Intel's perspective on 5G and how, how important is this technology for the company? Uh, yes, I think 5G is a very important technology for the company. We are making major investments in 5G, both on the infrastructure and the client side. And, and actually, we are demonstrating 
today at 5G World, uh, 5G reference design that incorporates virtualized RAN, virtualized TPC, edge computing with the uh, Intel Sports Group True VR application, all orchestrated by uh, Amdocs uh, service orchestrator, which is uh, Amdocs NFE powered by ONAP, uh, and and we're also showing the. Uh, uh, um, the true VR applications on an end client device as well. So we're truly showing an end-to-end -end, uh, reference design for 5G. Now, for MDocs is a market leader in a number of arenas uh, within uh, the data center and network computing. Um, tell me about the specific focus here and what you're bringing to the table in terms of NFE capability. Amdocs um, is the co-developer of uh, ONAP, which is the Open Network Automation Platform, that is uh, the whole idea of ONAP was came up by service providers in order to leverage the benefits of NFV and to be able to use uh, off-the-shelf servers and open up the network uh, to many more opportunities, to many more vendors, to have a very large variety of applications that can be deployed in the network in order to have a, a variety of services that will allow service providers uh, to innovate and compete with uh, over-the-top uh, providers as well. Amdocs NFE powered by ONAP uh, is an end-to-end -end, uh, service uh, orchestration and management platform that enables service providers to do exactly that, to deploy uh, virtual network functions in different segments of the network uh, at very fast uh, time in order to come up very quickly with new services and innovative uh, solution to a large variety of use cases. Now we've been talking about network transformation on ChipChat for a number of years and this is really um, an advancement at the access uh, of the network. Um, with this VRing configuration. Steve, tell me about the um, reference design that led to this awesome collaboration and why this is such a key area of the network uh, for industry focus right now. Yes, uh, I, uh, the 5G's is not only about radio access. Actually, 5G is a complete network transformation uh, which includes not only the radio access network, but also the mobile core of the network. And it's truly an end-to-end -end network transformation. Uh, SDN NFE is a necessary component of the 5G. Uh, also, distribution of the mobile core closer to the access is another major change that's happening with 5G. And edge computing is actually an inseparable part of 5G, is actually um, defined in the 3GBP standard for 5G for the first time, edge computing. So all these components we actually are bringing together in this 5G reference design. So we're including not only the radio access network with uh, Intel's FlexRAN running on Intel architecture, but we're also including a distributed uh, evolved packet core closer to the radio access network, and we're including edge computing as well. Again closer to the radio access network, um, as actually would be deployed at the edge of the network for, for 5G. And 
what we are allowing to do with this 5G reference design essentially to have a close to a commercially deployable solution by a communication service provider as they would actually deploy this in their network using a commercial service orchestration from, from, from Amdocs. And the advantage of this reference design is that it is actually a completely virtualized um, uh, architecture and completely um, managed by cloud uh, techniques with cloud management and orchestration which allows you to actually dynamically move the workloads around between networking functions and edge computing functions and that is the key uh, network transformation that the network now transforms to a fully programmable fully uh, uh, elastic and, and, and flexible network where workloads and networking functions can move around in this cloud managed infrastructure. For when you talk to providers, and, and I think Steve just did a great job of describing why the, this is so important in terms of the transition to 5G, um, why is orchestration so critical in terms of achieving the efficiency of 5G, especially given uh, the diversification of workloads that are being targeted for this uh, transition? I think orchestration is uh, very significant because we, we see already today that the services that are offered by service providers are very complex. They, in, they are relying on multiple network components and these components are uh, being deployed in multiple segments of the network. We see here in, the, in this live demo the edge computing resources, we are utilizing core resources and in other services some of the functionality that is being used to deliver the service will also be installed and deployed in public cloud. So Amdocs NFV powered by ONAP provides a single orchestration uh, platform that is enabling the service providers to manage all the different compute networking and storage resources that are required to provide the end-to-end -end service. When you look at this configuration in particular, it's uh, based on a FlexRAN uh, configuration uh, run off of Intel architecture, but also featuring um, Wind River uh, Titanium Cloud Software, the Mavenir V EPC, and then Amdocs, uh, Amdocs ONAP solution. How did the collaboration go between companies in terms of uh, deciding on this configuration and why is it so critical uh, for industry collaboration in these industry standard solutions? Uh, yes, uh, um, it, it is very critical to have collaboration between multiple companies in this essentially horizontally integrated uh, solution because you know, no single company can have all the capabilities under one roof. Uh, I think we have uh, very good partners in terms of specializing in different parts of the system with Wind River specializing in real-time latency hardened um, um, uh, virtualized infrastructure management with Wind River Titanium Cloud. They are an expert in that and we've been working with them for, for, for years uh, with uh, uh, Mavenir in terms of the virtualized EPC as well. And Mavenir is also uh, a, a commercial provider of our Flextran uh, 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 wireless access solution as well, and uh, Amdocs, of course, that uh, they are, uh, you know, I would say the the lead uh, service orchestrator right now in terms of ONAP, uh, commercializing ONAP. So um, the collaboration was extremely good, and we work jointly 
to uh, bring in all the VNFs from all different partners into into ONAP, and uh, um, uh, we're planning to continue this collaboration and involve it into more and more uh, uh, fields. So, so I let me complete uh, Steve's answer. So first of all, I. I can tell you that Amdocs is working with service uh, providers for 35 years now. And we provide multiple uh, platforms and multiple solutions to service providers. And right now we are in continuous dialogue with service providers who rely on us in order to understand how they can monetize 5G. Because they, need, they understand that they need to invest a lot of money uh, and to... Uh, have their networks ready for 5G. But they really need to understand why. What are they going to achieve? What, how they are going to make money out of 5G? So we are working with service providers together in order to define the 5G services that they would like to invest in in order to generate revenue. And we take this and we bring it back to our partners like Intel, like Mavener, like WindRiver, in order to come up with real-life use cases that we already know that they are at the interest of uh, the service providers. And what we are doing together in these ecosystems, we are working together in order to build uh, this uh, platform. We are doing a lot of lab work to pre-integrate our different products and uh, softwares and what we are showing here is actually a real live demo of how everything can work together. This uh, work that we are doing in the ecosystem dramatically reduces the time that it takes to deploy the solution in the actual environment because it's already pre-integrated and we know how to work together. Now, this is an interesting uh, case in that you've highlighted a, a very well-known use case for early 5G deployment, smart stadium with an augmented reality demonstration here at the show. But you mentioned that there are many use cases that you're looking at. Um, Steve, can you tell us about some of the industries that you think will benefit from early deployments here? Uh, yes, in addition, obviously, to entertainment-oriented AR, VR, uh, there's huge applications of 5G in industrial, industrial applications, both in terms of applications of AR, VR technology, but also applications of uh, video analytics, uh, big data analytics from uh, data that's coming off uh, sensors from industrial environments. Um, smart cities, uh, which combine a lot of these technologies. Um, uh, connected vehicles, of course, in terms of, uh, uh, again, uh, video analytics, data analytics, aiding autonomous driving with uh, network information. We view 5G as uh, aiding the autonomous driving in connected vehicles, for example, with information that cannot be immediately perceived by the sensors in the, in the autonomous vehicles in the, in the vicinity of the vehicle. Uh, so there's many, many applications in the industrial and the enterprise that are going to drive 5G uh, use cases and uh, revenue opportunities for operators, in addition to the more consumer entertainment type uh, applications. Yeah, and uh, Steve is correct. Uh, so there are uh, a lot of uh, different verticals that uh, will be uh, required to have uh, specific service requirements. And this is a concept that uh, is been answered by 5G network slicing. 
and the NFV uh, powered by ONAP uh, solution from Amdocs is the perfect platform that is uh, used to define these network slices because service providers use this platform in order to predefine specific network slices that are providing the necessary network uh, capabilities to answer different use cases like IoT, like sensors, like remote sur surgery, autonomous uh, vehicles, and things like that. Now, obviously, we've achieved a reference design. We've achieved a POC that we're demonstrating here at 5G World. What's next for the companies in terms of sharing this with providers and, and seeking trial deployments of the solution? Alfred, do you want to chime in first? Well, uh, Amdocs is already working with a number of service providers that are actually deploying the Fantastic. NFV powered by ONAP. Yeah. And they have the capability to utilize the the work that we are doing within the ecosystem and to deploy it. And I believe that some of them are looking into that. Um, whatever we are doing within the ecosystem is, of course, uh, available to, to our customers. And actually, we are doing that in order to enhance our offering to our service providers because we believe that what we are doing together will definitely help service to, uh, providers to uh, shorten the time of deployment of these kinds of solution. And Steve, from an Intel perspective, what's next within delivery of um, Flex RAM based solutions to the market? Yes, I think from an Intel perspective, we definitely want to um, uh, definitely proliferate the use of this reference design. We want it to function like a blueprint where supply chain partners and system integrators like Amdocs, Amdocs can function actually as a system integrator for a communication service provider. We want to um, in the future, um, our supply chain partners to take that reference design, integrate more of their products, and provide a fully sort of commercially deployable solution that can be deployed with Amdocs as a system integrator for the communication service provider. So we see a proliferation of partners and bringing in additional partners for uh, different parts of the of the solution and creating more and more um, uh, of commercially deployable solution based on this blueprint reference design. Yeah. I also would like to uh, add that uh, Amdocs and Intel are uh, cooperating a lot together. Uh, just uh, in April, we did together uh, workshops in uh, both Chile and Argentina, where we, we call it a fusion event. We, together, the two companies presented for service providers from uh, the two companies uh, about the different solutions the combined solutions and we educated them about the different uh, capabilities of the two companies and use cases and what we are, our joint offering is. That's fantastic. There's so much innovation going on in this space right now that the more we can talk to operators about what we're delivering, uh, the better position they'll be to actually get the full benefit of this technology. One final question for both of you. I'm sure that folks online are interested in this configuration as well as uh, broader solutions from both companies. Can you pro provide a, a website or other resource um, for folks to follow up with? Steve, do you want to go yes, first? Yes, from an Intel perspective, uh, the best place to go is uh, uh, builders.intel.com 
and there's a blog area there, blog area where we have blogs from both Intel and Amdocs on the use cases and the uh, that are on display in our demo, as well as links to all the technologies that we have for the reference design and uh, for Fantastic. the FlexNav. Uh, for Amdocs, uh, we have a dedicated site called NFV powered by ONAP. And on this site, uh, people can see videos, solution uh, briefs, use cases, and a lot of information about our solution. Fantastic. Well, guys, it was a real pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank, Thank you, you very much for having us. Thank you. Welcome to ChipChat Network Insights. My name is Alison Klein. We're coming to you from the 5G World Conference in London, and I'm here with Yannick Koistinen, head of the 5G program at Telia. Welcome. Thank you, thank you. It's a pleasure being here. So Yann, I think this is your first time on the show. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about Telia. Yes, um, uh, hello. Um, so my name is Yannick Koistinen. I have a, a long background in telecommunications. Uh, I, I joined uh, Telia a year ago. I ran uh, the, the 5G program, the purpose of which um, is to introduce 5G technologies and 5G services into the market and, and its scope being uh, first in Finland and of course uh, Telia's group operates in, in many other countries as well so we look forward of course in expanding uh, from the Finnish experiences to, to, to cover the other markets as well. 5G obviously is a huge topic in the industry right now holds incredible promise in terms of capability for the network. Um, but as you guys look at it at Telia, where are the uh, key use cases that are most interesting to you and where you think you can offer value to your clients? Yes. So we see, we see that the, the, uh, the uh, 5G uh, as, as, as a connectivity technology combined together with, with our um, uh, telecarrier uh, backbone networks, uh, global, global networks, Plus, then the, the, uh, the uh, our recent investments into data centers. Uh, we just uh, opened the Helsinki data center uh, uh, last week, uh, which is the uh, one of one of the most modern uh, um, uh, data centers on, uh, globally. Uh, th these form as as a plat these form together a platform to start utilizing uh, more and more data from from our customers' uh, business operations be that manufacturing, be that, that uh, logistics, uh, be, be that traditional PowerPoints. Um, but it, it's all data that is gathered uh, through 5G networks into the data centers, in which then again, we, we look for utilizing artificial intelligence to, to uh, get more value out of that data. And this, this, uh, this overall uh, um, 5G data centers, artificial intelligence, all these things together form a basis for all of the use cases our customer look for. When you just describe that story, it sounds very different uh, from the most recent transition to 4G. Why is that and, and what is driving that differentiation? I believe we are, we are entering an era in which the telecommunications is not only anymore a add-on to existing, existing uh, capabilities in, in society in general. 
but instead our society starts to build itself around telecommunications capabilities. This is a fundamental difference, this is a fundamental change that we are living at the moment. So, so that the, in, in the future, telecommunications is not something that the, uh, you get in addition to water, electricity, heat and, and so on. But more and more of our, our daily routines, our, our uh, business operations are built relying on the telecommunications infra. So th this, is, this is a big, big difference compared to earlier Gs that we've been mm -hmm. experiencing. Uh, and, and therefore we, we seek for uh, this, this uh, platform approach that I explained in the beginning that the, the, uh, uh, how do we serve our society better? How do we serve our businesses better? with the telecommunications. Now, 5G has been discussed for a while in the industry, but where are we exactly in terms of its delivery? And where is Telia focused its attention right now in terms of readying your networks for 5G? Um, this year we are very much focused on, on uh, uh, establishing a dialogue with our customers. And at the same time, uh, verifying the technology, underlying technologies that the uh, device uh, the vendors uh, provide, and and uh, this year we've been uh, how uh, how we've done it in practice has been uh, demonstrations and trials, uh, examples of which I can mention like like we took 5G a network into into a shopping mall in downtown Helsinki over which then, then uh, professional esports players were playing against uh, general public. Anyone <laughs> could challenge the pros in that nice. event. And the, 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 uh, th this, is, this is how we kind of verify where, where is the real value of the new technology. In this particular case of esports, the, the low latency is extremely uh, important. Sure. These pro players, they don't even bother thinking about playing over 4G. Due to, due to this uh, uh, latency factor, and and uh, and uh, f funny thing in this event, uh, before it uh, started uh, in the afternoon, they, they were warming up in the morning, and and uh, they, they had an impression that they are playing over fiber. Oh, interesting! And, and they they kind of warmed up for an hour or, or hour and a half, after which they stated that the hey guys, you can now switch on the five G. By the way, you've been playing already <laughs> two hours over 5G, and, they, they, and these are kind of religiously kind of in-depth belief that the 4G is not good enough. We yeah. we need fiber, and now they don't even use the wireless mouse because it's too slow. It needs to be wired, and these people experienced the 5G, and they didn't notice the difference. They they were saying that they're ready to play for money over 5G connections. Wow. And esports uh, experts are probably the uh, folks in the world that understand the value of a high-speed network more than most. <laughs> Very picky. Yes, so and you get the right and audience to test that. Yes, ex exactly. They, they, they are demanding. They are enthusiastic, and, and they, they always seek for the best solutions there are available. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you can if you can uh, uh, meet the requirements of this audience, I'm pretty sure we can meet the, the audiences of of uh, of, uh, of many other. Uh, fields as well. Now I remember hearing about uh, this trial when it happened, and it was a great example of industry collaboration as well. Can you talk about that? Yes. So, so, so the event was uh, organized together with with Intel, uh, with Nokia and Telia, and then then we had uh, our our uh, uh, 
esports partner Asus as as part of uh, part of that event as well. So it's it's a, it's a way how we think the 5G will be built. It's it's not going to be a, a single operator or, or, or vendor kind of a driving, but it, it is an industry collaboration that actually uh, needs to take place in order to, to uh, make it visible where are the benefits and, and how to, to, to make it happen in real. And it also has an important aspect is, is the, 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 uh, while recognizing the needs of, of society are, are different compared to past, also our regulation, our, our, our frame in which we operate needs to evolve as well. So it's important that we, that we as an industry showcase that how the world is changing, how it has changed and, and, and what are the needs in the future, so that all parts of our society can then adjust their, their own, own uh, uh, strategies sure. uh, aligned with, with, with ours as well. Now obviously um, this eSports demonstration was a great way to collect information about um, experiences with 5G. But as you just described earlier, there are a tremendous amount of industrial applications for this technology as well. Um, how do you leverage what you learn from early trials uh, to get to the next steps in terms of uh, trial deployments with a wide range of customers? I would start with the with the uh, uh, the industry four zero uh, uh, demonstration that we did again together with with uh, Intel and Nokia, and we also uh, uh, um, invited one of the one of the five G Finland. Um, uh, network uh, startups into into the game uh, for the video analytics part, uh, a company called Finve, and and uh, th this was uh, this was a, a demonstration in which we uh, built the chain of from from 5G device with 5G connectivity with uh, with uh, a backbone network over long distance, uh, uh, utilized the edge computing. Uh, then we utilize the data center, we utilize the video analytics as, as, a, as a kind of an intelligence part of it, and then an application that kind of as a feedback loop uh, into, into the, the, the uh, site where the devices were. So we built the whole chain, chain in, in, in that, uh, I call it chain of pearls, because each of these pearls needs to be in place in order to make a, a beautiful necklace, you know. Um, so so uh, uh, th this is... Um, an example of, of a case in which uh, um, a quality inspection uh, was transformed into a quality insurance sure. within the, the production process itself. And the, the, we utilized this, this all, all this platform that I described in the beginning. We, we built this first time and, and utilized it to deliver this promise. And, and uh, this is how we then, we start repeating this in different contexts the same pearls again but delivering a different value to different customers but this is this is uh, how we how we want to run this so we want to engage more and more of our customers enterprise customers especially and 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 deliver the same chain of pearls for the for their benefits mm -hmm. this is our approach now when you take a look at uh, this great progress that you're making um, one final question for you. Um, where can f folks find out more about what Telia is doing in this space or talk to somebody from Telia about your 5G trials and how they can get involved? One angle into this is uh, this is uh, uh, the 5G Finland network that, that we've been establishing. Uh, it's an open collaborative network of co for companies and organizations to join uh, Telia to, to uh, create and pilot 
those use cases that, that, that are not available today, but that they will be enabled by, by introducing when, when 5G is introduced. And, and this, this is uh, the way to engage more and more companies and organizations uh, uh, um, to develop the real use cases for 5G. Fantastic. Well, Yanni, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. And um, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy 5G world schedule to spend some time on ChipChat. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here. Welcome to ChipChat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you live from 5G World in London. And I've got Brian Ahern, Director of Communications Infrastructure and General Manager of Intel Shannon with us. Welcome, Brian. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. So Brian, what, this is the first time you've been on ChipChat. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and your role at Intel? Um, thank you. Uh, delighted to be here. Um, I, uh, I work for, uh, for a group within Intel called the Communications Infrastructure Division. Um, their, their role is to provide uh, a product line for uh, comms infrastructure uh, worldwide. I run a team in, in Ireland that is focused on particular parts of that network infrastructure and uh, the part of it that I'm going to talk about today uh, will be around the next generation central office, uh, a, a very uh, innovative area of uh, the network at the moment. Next generation central office is becoming a hot term in the network transformation arena. Tell me about where this actually resides from a broader network topology perspective. Sure. Um, well, uh, the network is made up of a bunch of aggregation sites. Um, you think about the network, you can access the network from being at home, uh, being in public places, or being at work in an office, in an enterprise somewhere. Well, as you move from those locations all the way to the cloud, you'll encounter various points of aggregation along the way. Um, some of the most visible points would be a base station. That would be a point of aggregation. Um, and uh, other more visible points of aggregation would be, say, uh, uh, you know, the cloud itself uh, that people would be very familiar with. Um, however, in a comms infrastructure network, there are a whole range of other points of aggregation. And uh, one of those are central offices. They are um, variety, uh, very ver varied in, in nature. They can be a, a a uh, cabinet um, on the side of a road, or they can be a, a building in the middle of, uh, of a large city. So they vary in size, um, but the, the key point about these central offices is that they are um, uh, they're undergoing a, a major transformation uh, in terms of what's happening with them as the network becomes more intelligent and as new features and services are going to be deployed over the next number of years. So obviously this is part of the trend of virtualizing network services, but there's also an aggregation of central offices that's going on. How are those an interplay? Oh, very much so. So one of the key things that is happening is that as the network is being modernized, um, the numbers of central offices are actually reducing. Um, as you know, central offices in the past were um, points of uh, cable, uh, copper aggregation. Um, but now with uh, the, the rollout of fiber, which has been going on now for a number of years, um, these central offices are becoming um, more dense aggregation points. So fiber obviously goes 
um, uh, spans greater distances, so you can cover a broader region uh, from a particular central office. So a central office in the past might cover maybe between five and 8,000 subscribers. Now it could cover up to 50,000 subscribers depending on your geographical area and, and the density of population within that uh, area. So the, the big transformation there is, is as fiber is being deployed, you now have access to a far greater number of subscribers from this one aggregation point um, in the network. Now, the second trend obviously is the virtualization of network functions within that central office. Tell us about the types of functions that are running here and how does the integration of intelligence at this central office location enable more flexibility and capability for the provider? Okay, so the, the first thing about the, these aggregation points is that, um, as I said, it's an aggregation point for uh, the home network, uh, so traffic coming from the home, um, traffic coming from enterprise, and traffic coming from the mobile network. So those three um, traffic sources, if you like, they tend to be, you know, they converge on a particular network function. They converge on a, on a what's called a, a BNG, uh, a broadband network gateway. They converge on a provider edge router or a PE router. Or they converge in the mobile space, they converge on a, on a network function called the packet gateway or, a, or an EPC, but particularly the packet gateway side. Now those three network functions um, have been and are deployed um, worldwide in appliance form, um, traditional um, NPU-based infrastructure. Um, what's changing is that these are now, first of all, these functions are now going to be reside in the same location. So while a, a BNG and a provider edge router are terminating home traffic and terminating enterprise traffic, that's, um, they're, they typically reside in the same location. Um, uh, and, but on top of that, as we head towards uh, 5G, we're, we're going to see the distribution of the mobile network out to that location. So now you're going to have not just the, the BNG network function, not just the provider edge network function, but also the mobile core network function distributed to the edge, and these aggregation points, these three network functions will form the basis of the, this flexible network that we're um, looking to uh, roll out. Now with all of these network functions coming together into the central office, what are the key technologies that Intel and industry partners are working on to ensure uh, that the uh, underlying infrastructure can support this myriad of network functions and do so in a secure and performant fashion? Well, well, there you go. You said it, you hit the nail on the head there with, um, with it in a secure uh, fashion, in a flexible uh, fashion. These are the critical requirements of this area. So if you think about um, you know, the, the baseline requirements, you need a flexible network, you need it to be secure, uh, and you need to be able to provide a quality of service. You need to be able to deliver the service that you said you would. So these are the three fundamental um, requirements of that part of the network. And so we believe that the that NFE, the, the, the core tenants of NFE uh, and SDN are at the heart of this distributed infrastructure. So um, to provide those three functions, you need, you know, flexibility is, in our, in our, in our view, it's all about uh, 
software infrastructure on industry standard servers. So we, we provide a range um, of from our scalable to our uh, Xeon D product line. That uh, scalable flexibility, um, we provide a range of capabilities within that uh, platform to provide the security and the, and the service assurance needed to deliver that network function at that location. So that's, there's our product portfolio and how they apply to the requirements of that part of the network. You know, it's, it's interesting, Brian. I think that this is an amazing uh, technology advancement, but it really came into picture for me when I was walking around 5G world this week and saw all of this capability in a single rack. So tell me how we got to that point. So that's right. So the, the, uh, I've been with Intel about 17 years and, and oftentimes when I've been at shows like this, I'm, I have uh, demoed um, and, and showed uh, you know, leadership for a particular network function uh, running on a particular processor on a particular uh, platform. Um, the move to the edge, the, the pace of 5G deployments, the, the, the the demand in the industry for this flexibility um, is, is powering that innovation. So it's no longer about that one network function or that one service. It's about the provisioning of a rack of infrastructure providing the capacity and the scalability to deliver uh, not just the network functions I talked about uh, from, a from, from the communications infrastructure perspective, but also a, a range of services that can be provided on top of that and delivered from that location. And this all came about by that need, that the need for a multifunction capability that uh, crosses a, a range of platforms so that you can have platforms to deliver the network functions and in the same rack um, you can reutilize that same infrastructure to deliver the services. And that's our, our key value proposition. With, with Intel's um, Silicon, our, our Xeon, Scalable and Xeon D product line, you have the flexibility to run the network function, different network functions, and the flexibility to run the software on top of that. And then you put all of that in a rack to support about 30,000 subscribers. And that's what we're showing here today with our NGCO work. That's fantastic. What has the interest been uh, from operators on this configuration? It has been fantastic. We're, we're, we're only into the, the second day here and uh, my team here have been run off their feet uh, with interest on the booth. Um, we have a range of interest, uh, not just from the, the vendors um, at the show, but also from operators who are, who are looking at the network themselves in a very different way. And they're providing us input as to what, what additional capabilities we could provide for them. You know, um, it isn't just about you know, the Intel product line per se, it's about the ecosystem of vendors that are here at the show having this capability. You know, we have uh, network functions from a range of vendors that can run production quality available in the market today, and then we have a whole range of underlying uh, network infrastructure capabilities powered by our famous uh, data plane development kit that's now part of the open source community. Um, these are all available to deliver that uh, capability. That's fantastic. Thank you for taking the time with us to walk through NGCO. Um, one final question for you, Brian. Where can folks get more information about what Intel is driving in this space and how we're working with our ecosystem uh, 
partners and the network builders program to deliver key capabilities to market. So we've got a, a couple of papers that are available that, that outline what we're showing here today. Uh, if you go to netbuilders.com and search for NGCO or, or search for virtual EPC, um, you'll find us right there. Fantastic, thank you so much for the time today. Thank you very much, Alison. Welcome to ChipChat Network Insights. My name is Alison Klein. We're coming to you from 5G World in London, and I'm very excited to be joined by Alex Quach, Vice President and General Manager of the 5G Strategy and Program Office within Intel's Network Platform Group. Welcome, Alex. How's it going? Good. How are you, Alison? I'm great. It's, I'm very excited to have you on the show for the first time. Why don't I'm we glad just to be here. Why don't we just start with a quick introduction of your background at Intel and, and your leadership of the 5G strategy and program office. Sure, uh, I've been at Intel for about uh, 20 years. I've done a, a number of different roles, including um, spending time in the desktop products group, um, you know, way back when, spent a few years in Asia, uh, doing an integration of uh, an acquisition uh, back in the early 2000s, and then um, transitioned over to um, a technology that Intel pushed for a while called WiMAX, unsuccessfully in the marketplace, through which we actually had a lot of learnings. Mm -hmm. um, and then spent time in the uh, PC client group, uh, managing their wireless business, all the Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and wireless WAN uh, products that go into PCs. Uh, and more recently um, in the um, Intel, what is called client devices group, where we do development of modems for LTE and, um, and 5G. Um, and my, my re most recent role now is the 5G strategy um, and uh, program office uh, general manager is to make sure that Intel has one coherent strategy because 5G impacts so many business groups across Intel that we're marching towards the same drumbeat. Now 5G is obviously being discussed all over the industry. It's one of the hottest topics um, in terms of press coverage as well. But you know, you said something very interesting there in terms of the broad impact to the business. This is a very different beast than other wireless technology transitions that have come before. Why don't you tell me about why that is and where do we see the, you know, the near-term impact with 5G? Sure, 5G in general, if you look at the transitions from 2G to 3G to 4G, it was really about faster speeds on similar mobile devices. So it was about voice, moving on to data, but always connecting mobile phones and, and humans. 5G is, is, is very, very different in that it's essentially paving the information superhighway to connect billions of devices and machines. So it's not really about connecting humans anymore. In fact, many service operators, um, service providers and operators who are looking to come into 5G are, are looking to not even have 5G be led by a service like the mobile phone, like the enhanced mobile broadband. Many are. Some of them are actually looking at how can 5G actually transform my business in connecting machines. So whether it's cars, whether it's things, whether it's billions of sensors and temperature monitors and 
just opening up a completely new world and a new set of experiences that fundamentally will change our lives because we're so used to just working with our mobile phones. Now it's just a whole slew of experiences that have been enabled by machine and machine analytics to, to really change the way we live. Now, those previous transitions that you talked about, voice and then data, the, the workload characteristics were pretty um, predictable because uh, you know we've got specific uses for our mobile phones. What you've just described is so diverse in terms of the types of characteristics of those workloads and the network requirements associated with them. How have we addressed that in terms of the 5G standards? Yeah, so in terms of the standards, actually Intel has been a, we've taken a very, very comprehensive, I know this is an overused term, but we've really truly taken an end-to-end -end view on 5G. And we, we talk about end-to-end -end in terms of breadth, but also end-to-end -end in terms of when we engage with the standards. We engaged, we started engaging on 5G many years ago, three, four years ago, when there was just a twinkle in somebody's eye to contribute and usher in the 5G standard, what we know now is the 5G NR standard, uh, both from a, a non-standalone and a standalone, so these are some technicalities about the, about the standard. But we've been working with industry leaders um, on, on defining these standards over the past several years, and they've now just been ratified um, at the end of last year for phase one of 5G, and then uh, right now for the second phase of, uh, of 5G. And throughout the entire process, we've actually not just introduced standards, but provided trial vehicles to actually characterize the, the technology and how the technology works. And over the past two years, we've proven out with the rest of the industry that this technology is viable. And I think today, where we are with 5G is, there is no dispute now that 5G is actually coming. The technology is real, the networks are coming. So for a long time, there was just a lot of hype about you know, whether this, this technology is actually, actually works in the real world. We know now, and thanks to a lot of the work that, that Intel has done, that this technology is viable and the, the networks based on 5G are coming. The big challenge now for the industry is, what are the use cases and um, how, does this, how do the service providers monetize specifically in the enterprise space and hosting applications that we just talked about that are more machine related, that are more enterprise related than just uh, mobile phones. And this is really the next phase of, of uh, 5G as we, as we know it. And then from, a, from an overall um, underlying set of capabilities to make 5G happen, Part of the, um, the uh, you know, when you, when you think about 5G, you think about um, clients and air interface and, you know, 3G, 4G, it's about a new modem. And yeah, sure, while modems are necessary to support the, the uh, flexible transmission of data over new spectrum, really what's going to make 5G happen, and this goes back to what, what you're uh, mentioning, is to have the flexibility in the network to address different types of services. So on a, on a transform 5G network, because there are different types of connections, you should be able to run on the same network a service for mobile phones and a service for um, IoT, right? Massive IoT on, on how cities are, are, are managed and you can run a service that delivers um, ultra, ultra high definition video and super um, low latency type applications like uh, an augmented reality or virtual reality cloud gaming type applications on the same network. 
And what Intel has done in this, in this context is we've really driven the transformation of the network over the past few years. Now this transformation is being accelerated by 5G to deliver the type of network that is fully virtualized, that's software defined, that allows for what is known as network slicing to be able to provide these different types of services to slice the network capabilities to address these different types of services on the same network, which was previously not possible. Now I'm glad that you brought this point up. We've been talking about the transformation of the network for a long time on ChipChat, and obviously the industry is well under the underway in terms of the delivery of this technology with operators deploying new capabilities to the network. Can you explain to us um, how that network uh, transformation is a precursor and how 5G is an augmentation of that virtualized network experience and how do they fit together hand in hand? Sure, yeah, the promise of 5G is, um, once again, you know, has to be, has to do with uh, different capabilities around high bandwidth, around low latency to enable new services. And because 5G operates on different air interfaces, it will be able to provide different services with heterogeneous radios. So the network has to be able to, to be uh, capable to support the flexibility that 5G offers. And um, as you mentioned, the, the transformation of this network is not new. It's, it's gone on for uh, years now, right? The, uh, the movement towards uh, virtualizing network, fun network functions, the movement towards uh, being able to orchestrate and manage and provision and, and manage the network from a software perspective, taking advantage of server economics as the network has moved towards server-based architectures to, for the network to be flexible. And, um, from that perspective, to be able to take advantage of network slicing in 5G, you need a network that has um, been virtualized essentially, um, that you can run different levels of, uh, of services over a general purpose network where you don't have fixed function appliances anymore, fixed function network elements that can only do, that can perform in, in one capacity or other. So a fully virtualized network that is software defined will allow you to um, run the different types of services that you need over 5G and will allow you to do network slicing that you, that you actually could not do on previous generation networks. Now Intel has been driving its own innovation in this space and we had a couple of announcements here at 5G World. Do you care to share those? Uh, yeah, we announced a, a reference architecture um, at 5G World with some of our ecosystem partners. In, Intel fundamentally doesn't deliver solutions um, we drive standards, we build an ecosystem of, of partners who deliver solutions, and, and, and then we go to market with you know, our best uh, industry-leading uh, uh, performance processors. Um, so uh, we've done uh, a reference design with um, uh, a number of, um, of uh, vendors uh, here. Um, one that is uh, open networking base, one that's uh, ONAP base. Um, and then um, we're also working with another vendor, uh, Advantech, um, to deliver pre-configured uh, solutions in the marketplace because service providers, quite frankly, want uh, solutions that they don't have to go deal with, um, you know, making three or four vendors work together in an open environment. One of the challenges of opening up the network and, and having a, a large ecosystem on the network is that we have to make sure these solutions from the, the many different players now that have entered this, this space work together. 
and Intel has done, um, has put together a program um, called the Intel Select uh, Solutions, where we actually take what service providers need to, to virtualize specific network functions, and we take configurations from specific vendors, in this case, what we announced at, at uh, 5G World, to deliver a pre-configured, pre-tested solution so that service providers can have the ease of mind to go deploy these solutions knowing that, that they've been pre-tested and validated. Very nice. Um, we started 2018 with a bang with uh, the introduction of uh, 5G very present at the Olympics. And yes. we've been continuing on with different trials around the world and different collaborations. As you look ahead to the second half of 18 and into 2019, what are you most excited to see from the industry in the space of 5G? And um, what are the key milestones that we should be looking for in terms of readiness for deployments broadly? Yeah, I, I think it's the, actually, the industry is at a very, very, um, critical point now for 5G development, because um, as I mentioned earlier, the, t the, the technology has been proven, and the networks we know now are coming across the globe, whether it's in the United States, uh, at the, starting at the second half of 2018 into 2019, whether it's in um, South Korea, where a lot of the Olympics were a proving ground for 5G, where the networks, the commercial networks are going in, um, and then uh, China certainly, which is probably the fastest growing geo for a country for 5G, where they're literally putting out massive deployments of 5G with broad um, uh, city and ultimately countrywide coverage. Uh, to Japan, who's rolling out their 5G network ahead of the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, and we're, we're so excited to be working um, and, and being able to showcase things that people can do three, four, five years out from the Olympics um, that the, the, the technology um, actually offers. Um, and so, from that perspective, the, the excitement is really twofold. One, looking backwards on the amount of work that Intel has achieved with its uh, partners to actually take the, the, uh, the, the 5G concept all the way through making, making it a reality to make sure that the networks are now coming up with Intel ingredients inside the network, right? We power the network. Um, and then moving forward, I think the exciting piece is that operators and service providers as we know them really have to rethink what their role in delivering services are. Because this, as we talked earlier, Allison, is not about delivering um, a network and two or three uh, flagship smartphones, you know, like, a, like an iPhone and a, and a Galaxy. And this was the, the service provider um, business model. They built the networks and they put some devices on there. This, now 5G really opens up the opportunity for service providers to, uh, to cooperate with um, an ecosystem that is not necessarily as familiar to them and with customers um, that Intel has worked with a lot with in the past in the enterprise space. Sure. And we now get to, for the next year or so, sit down with a set of partners, with the service providers, with enterprise, to show what 5G is capable of and to understand the problems that these capabilities will solve. And I think that's really exciting because I think we're going to uncover a lot of new applications and new capabilities. And this is how innovation works. It's a very exciting time, and I can't wait to see what kind of transformation you and your team drive. Um, we'd love to have you back on the program uh, as you make this journey from a vision 
through a broad reality. Um, one final question for you, Alex, before you leave. Um, where can folks go if they want to find out more about what Intel's doing in the 5G arena? Yeah, there's uh, actually quite a bit of collateral on, um, uh, on our website. It's uh, www.intel.com slash 5G. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.